Welcome to the Path to Freedom podcast. I'm your host, Wes Barefoot, where it's my mission to help aspiring entrepreneurs and existing business owners take control of their lives and create freedom for themselves through business ownership. Each episode, I'll be exploring the strategies and tactics of other successful entrepreneurs that have created freedom in their own lives while sharing what I'm learning along my own path to freedom. I'm glad you're here. Let's drop in. Hey, everyone. Thanks for dropping into another episode of the Path to Freedom podcast. Today, I'm joined by a very good friend of mine, Rafi Iskandarian. Uh, We've been talking about doing this for a while, Rafi, and I've been really looking forward to it. So I appreciate you making time to uh, be here. Of course. Thank you. So Rafi and I know each other uh, through Shelf Genie. Uh, those that have listened to the podcast know, you know, my wife and I are Shelf Genie franchisees. Rafi and his business partner, Jeff, have been Shelf Genie franchisees for, uh, what, probably four or five years longer than than Kelly and I have been. Um, so that's how we met. And, and we've become, you know, good friends. Uh, Kelly and I personally have learned a ton from Jeff and Rafi over the years, Um and, uh, you know, always enjoy seeing them when we get together at conferences and events. But, you know, in addition to all of that, Jeff and Rafi are involved in some other businesses outside of Shelf Genie. Um, and, and Rafi in particular has a, a very interesting story and a lot of just, I think, good life and business advice to share with anyone out there that's thinking about business ownership or, you know, already in business for themselves, but just, you know, looking to continue to to grow and level up. So that's why I wanted to have Rafi come on the podcast. So, you know, with that, Rafi, you know, maybe give us a quick little introduction and, you know, maybe start by just kind of sharing in addition to Shelf Genie, what other businesses you're currently involved in as an owner. Sure. Thank you again. Thanks for the opportunity to be on this podcast with you. Um, so yes, like Wes, you said, I've known you for quite a bit now and your wife, Kelly, and uh, we've had good times with uh, Shelf Genie. Uh, Jeff and I, my partner Jeff and I currently own uh, multiple home improvement businesses. It all started with Shelf Genie and then it morphed into a, uh, uh, a cabinet refacing refinishing business. And then it went into another Shelf Genie territory in Philadelphia. Currently, we're in Boston, Massachusetts. Yeah. Uh, and um, then we started an independent closet business, uh, which is our own non-franchise. We're a dealer of a, of a manufacturer. Uh, and then after that, we uh, brought on a carpet and flooring business, which is a little different type of business because it has an actual retail location for us. Yeah. Uh, we, we sold our... Um, refacing refinishing business we sold our philadelphia shelf genie business and our current core businesses are shelf genie in massachusetts where we cover almost all of massachusetts southern new hampshire we have a our new england closets business where we cover similar territory and we have a carpet and flooring business which is located out of sudbury massachusetts and it covers you know a little little smaller uh, geographical diameter but uh, but still covers quite a bit of territory so I think the first question most people would probably have is, what do you do with all your spare time? Um, <laughs> since you're clearly not busy building businesses at all. Um, no, but it's it's interesting. And I've always been fascinated with with what you and Jeff, you know, have done since we we originally met you, because I think when Kelly and I first met you, you you were in the cabinet refacing business in addition yeah. to Shelf Genie. You owned the two markets for Shelf Genie. You had Boston, you had Philadelphia, and I think you had your closet business already as well. Um, 2015-16 time frame. Yeah, so I would have I would have probably met you in like 2017. Yeah, so, so right into early. Yeah, and so like I can remember, and you know, we weren't even franchisees at that point. I I went to work for Shelf Genie, and that's when we originally met. Yeah. And I just remember being being fascinated and I'd seen, you know, some other examples similar to that where, you know, people got into a business in many cases through a franchise. And we'll, I think, probably talk more later about 
why yeah. a franchise can sometimes be a really good starting point, but doesn't necessarily have to be the the end all be all or the only, you know, option for someone. But and then they continue to grow, not always through just expanding with that same franchise. They're yeah. adding on complementary businesses, and and you guys have clearly done that. And I just remember being kind of intrigued by that. So I think there's a lot of interesting things to to talk about and kind of unpack along those lines. But before we do that, you know, tell us a little bit of your your backstory and how you even got to the point of, you know, being in the in the home improvement, home services industries as a as a small business owner. All right. Thank you. I'll do that. Uh, uh, I will. I won't bore you to death, so I'll keep it pretty short. So um, go. It's it's not boring. It's so not boring at all. I'm an immigrant. I'm not born in the, in the U.S. I was born and raised in uh, Beirut, Lebanon, but I'm 100% Armenian descent. So Armenian, born and raised in uh, another foreign country, which was Beirut, Lebanon back then. Um, I spent my first 13 years there. Uh, as a teenager, up, up until it's a teenager, uh, in, a, in a pretty, pretty devastating civil war, um, where uh, com- almost complete chaos, very dangerous lifestyle type of thing. And we were fortunate enough in 1986 to be able to get out of there um, uh, when I was 12 and a half or something like that, get out of there and come to the U.S. We had family in Belmont, Massachusetts. Uh, my, my grandfather passed away and that's how we got our visas and we were able to come here. Uh, when we got here, uh, my father stayed in Lebanon to clear up some business, whatever he had going on there. And when he came to the U.S., uh, unfortunately, a couple months later, he passed away. Uh, so we were, maybe not, it's me and two younger brothers and my mom, um, kind of a little bit lost of not knowing what the future holds um, for us when we were young. And... Um, a lot of, uh, you know, not knowing where to go, to move to California, to move back to Lebanon, to stay in Massachusetts. Um, but we kind of hunkered down here because we had my mom's family. My her brothers were, the, were here in this area. How long had they been in the area? Not, not much longer. They were all from yeah. either Lebanon or somewhere around there. And they yeah. had migrated here maybe a few years before. And, uh, and all, it all happened because my uncle went to school here. When uh, he okay. went to school here and he just kind of whatever, for whatever reason, picked Boston and Boston has a pretty decent Armenian community, especially back then. So okay. Armenians are very tight in their community. So wherever there's Armenians, there's going to be people moving uh, to those areas, which I imagine is helpful, but still, you know, especially be 12, 13 years old, you know, just move to another country, you know, a handful of people, but virtually no, nobody. And then your father passes away shortly after all of that. I mean, I can't imagine. Uh, you know, I, I I think I think that's tough for anyone. Yeah, to it was it was imagine. definitely tough. It was challenging, but at the same time, if you think about what we grew up in, chaos and destruction was kind of our norm, right? Now, I'm not saying we welcomed it, but it was sure. you kind of knew how to deal yeah. with stuff like that because you've seen things like that happen to people that you knew or other family members. And you, you kind of yeah. knew that some, you kind of know how to handle something like that. Now, I'm not saying we came out of it squeaky clean and everything. Right. Or you enjoyed that. any of it, but no, that, I mean, that's a good point. I was, I forget what it was. I was listening to the other day, but um, they, they mentioned a quote where it's like the worst thing that's ever happened to you is the worst thing that's ever happened to you. Right. So like, if you've been through some real shit in your life, you get a flat tire, you're like, Oh, I guess I got to change my tire. Right. But if you've, you know, never really been through anything, you get a flat tire. It's like the end of the world. You know, it's, it's all about perspective. And I think, you know, going through adversity is never fun when you're doing it. Um, but it definitely can, you know, leave some lasting lessons and, and, you know, help prepare you. And what's it builds a foundation that you can't really pinpoint why, you know, you, some people say, Hey, like when you say, where's your time go, or is your, you know, how you come up with them? It's, it's just, it's, it's part of your personality that gets developed that you can't really pinpoint and say, yes, Mm -hmm. I have that trait. It's just ingrained in you and it makes you do things or have the drive to do things uh, or, because 
other people have not gone through that or they don't know how to uh, act or make decisions on the fly or or do things. And that's, you know, I look at that as an opportunity, opportunity, right? Opportunity Absolutely. and advantage that I may have over some people because I can think quicker on my feet maybe because I've been through a lot of um, different situations that are a lot more um, difficult and a lot more costly and uh, not necessarily financially. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I would imagine it, it just gives you good perspective that a lot of people don't have when, you know, you've literally been in life and death situations, you know, as a kid, you know, something bad happens in business. It's like, okay, this isn't ideal, but like, let's, let's move quick. Let's move sure. decisively. Let's not this, let this rattle us, you know, and, and shake us off track. You know, these things happen and it could be far worse. Yeah, but at the same time, I'll come. I've said you will come back to that at some point in this in this cast. But uh, having a good sounding board, like a chef, my partner, mm -hmm. has mm -hmm. been instrumental to our success because that passion that I may bring to something, sometimes if it's not controlled, it, <sighs> it could kind of go overboard, and you make rash decisions that may end up hurting the business one way or another. But I think having that Jeff makes sense. Was yeah. very even keeled and you know jeff he's very very even keeled very calculated very yes uh, let's take the data let's think about it then make a um, decision on how are we going to act it helps out a lot yeah no doubt you and jeff complement each other very well um in that regard so so tell us a little bit more about you know some of the early days adjusting because I, I mean i think you told me you you really didn't even speak english when no i I spoke multiple languages. I had just started learning English in um, in in Lebanon. I was in sixth grade, but when we I came here, I mean, it was halfway sixth grade that I came here, or right, right at the end of sixth grade. So I really I had a very very bad accent. I still have an accent, but I had a very bad accent. Uh, I didn't really know a lot of vocabulary. It's funny because uh, on my SATs in uh, in in high school. I would answer the first three in the English part. I did very well in the math, but I, in the English part, I would answer the first three that I recognize and guess on them and then leave 17 blank. Because you, <laughs> because back then you would get penalized for if you got wrong answers. So that was my strategy. <laughs> I would leave uh, a lot of blanks on my, my city. Anyway. Work smart, um, not hard. Yeah. Childhood here, uh, high school, uh, middle school, high school was pretty tough, uh, you know, to trying to adjust into the uh, the culture. Um, I came from Lebanon, the Middle East. There was a lot of, uh, back then it was Desert Storm and Iraq war was starting to happen. So uh, we were not really favored by the local kids, but uh, we got through it. Um, I went to Boston College. I applied to Boston College and I got into Boston College and I uh, wanted to go there. My plan was to become a eye doctor, an ophthalmologist, because my family really thought that I should be an eye doctor because my father in Lebanon used to make prosthetic eyes. And in the oh, war, no way. Uh, in the war uh, he had very good business because people would get their eyes blown out because of the shrapnel and, and, and the war. So yeah. I was fascinated by his, I was always fascinated by his uh, skill and yeah, how yeah. beautiful he would make, how he would do it. So, you know, that was the path that I was going to go. Right. So in, in, in a lot of our families in Lebanon, usually the kids follow, like one of the kids will take over the dad's business. So, right. Yep. Um, anyway, got into Boston college, went there, junior year i just kind of started getting cold feet about medical school i did very well on the tests and i had interviews and everything like that uh to medical school but then i decided that i'm not going to go to medical school so um Is that just kind of a gut feeling that that you followed yeah it was it was gut it was i just didn't have it i knew i if i really followed it i'm sure i would have done well at it you know what i mean i would i would have found i would have been okay uh, uh but i just having some friends of family who were in the medicine and having, you know, shadowing them a little bit. And a lot of them said, you know, if you really, if this is not your hundred percent passion, then don't go after it because medicine is not the same as it was before. And back then you're talking nineties, nineties, and just imagine how it is now. 
with the insurances, with the control, with HMOs and all that stuff. So yeah, yeah. Uh, unless you become like a really, really, you know, profound specialists, then so then uh, and then and then at the same time, there was also a big financial strain on us, right? Because we didn't we didn't come from uh, our our financial situation was not great. So for me to think that I'm not going to be able to make a living for another eight years after college, not being able to help out my family, and my mom, that was well, pretty tough. Plus, tough. just how much it costs to to go through all that Correct. schooling. I mean, we yeah. we have friends that you know probably weren't in that that tight of a financial situation going into school. And I mean, they will, you know, one's a, an ER surgeon and the other one's, you know, finishing her residency and will be like a, a pediatric oncologist. Right. So yeah. fairly specialized. Yeah. They, they were telling us, we saw them over Christmas. They're, they're both probably early, you know, thirties. They're going to be in their late fifties before their school is paid off out of control <laughs> out of control and right. and there's a whole nother you know uh wormhole we could go down there with i've been reading this book uh the almanac of naval ravikant if you're not familiar with with this guy naval ravikant check him out but um you know he talks in this uh, i'll text you a link to the book but he talks in this you know about the the whole book the subtitle is a guide to wealth and happiness and you know he makes the claim that in order to to truly be happy and live a fulfilled life you have to build wealth and he's not talking about you have to make a lot of money so you can you know buy the fancy car and buy the rolex and keep up with the joneses he's talking about you know you have to build enough wealth so that you can spend time doing what you want to do you know, working on the things you want to work on that interest you and being with the people you want to be with when you want to be with them instead of working just to make the money that you need to live, whether that's you're working to make a million dollars a year or whatever. So that's kind of his whole philosophy. And in that, he talks a lot about the fact that to to truly build wealth and, and ever get to a place of financial freedom, you need equity, you need ownership, you're not going to do it working for someone or even working for yourself like a doctor yeah. or a lawyer where you may get paid very very well for your time but you're still trading your time for money so kind of a, a tangent there but maybe brings us a little bit full circle where the path you ended up taking a more entrepreneurial path compared to yeah you know being a an eye doctor and sure you could have you know maybe started your own practice you sure, know if yeah, you've gone yeah. the medical path but you know, if if you buy into to that kind of premise that, you know, wealth is going to help you lead a more happy and fulfilled life and to achieve the wealth ownership is is key to that, you know, that's yeah. that's more of the path that, that you ended up going down. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's a very important point. I think control is another yeah. one uh, yeah. when when you when you have equity when you're owner you have more control uh, and if you apply that control in the right way then I think the dividends can be pretty big yes uh, yeah. but at the same time if you don't apply it in the right way it can go the other way a lot quicker so yeah you more downside sure yeah so I mean right out of so when I got out of college at Boston College I was kind of lost because I was going to be in business and I would you know, I look back at myself maybe 30 years ago and I'm like, at interviews, I'm like, what do you want to do? I want to be business. Like, you know, like the, when I went to interviews, I went to, I wanted to get into financial services, Fidelity or some of these other places or, yeah. or get into uh, pharmaceutical sales. Cause I knew mm -hmm. that those two, those two industries were pretty, from the research that I did, cause I could, I didn't take any business classes in undergrad because I couldn't get, take business classes when I decided to not pursue medicine. So I was right. still stuck in, in my pre-med path. And the only thing I could do is take psychology as a minor. So I took psychology as a minor just to get a little more exposure outside of the pure, you know, biologies and the psychology, uh, biologies and the chemistries and uh, physiologies. So anyway, I came out, I was kind of bouncing around, not knowing um, what to do. I landed a job making very, very little money uh as a 
leasing customer service. And this company did leased, leased out um, credit card machines, vending machines to multiple different businesses. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, I knew somebody who worked there because I had to get a job. So I got a job. Like I was very aggravated that the average salary of a Boston college uh, graduate was 36,600 back then in 1996. And I was making $19,200 as my first salary. And I was pretty not happy about that. But, but on the flip side, I was working uh, nights at, uh, at a bar a uh, restaurant bar in, in Fenway Park, near Fenway Park. And oh, I, was making, sweet. I was making pretty good money back then for somebody out of college. I'd, um, I'd work at a bar at Fenway for free. Well, you, you probably want to work for it without the free because it's <laughs> it's pretty pretty lucrative, uh, especially I, back I bet. then. Too. Yeah. So I anyway, bet. that. And then the other thing, this is where the entrepreneurial comes in, for me at least. When I was a junior at Boston College, I didn't. I was a commuter. I, w- I did not live on campus until my senior year because I couldn't afford to. Um, I realized all the friends that I made were living off campus. So Boston College didn't have dormitories for juniors back then. Now yeah. they do. Back then they didn't. So a light bulb went off in my head because I said, okay, there's a captive audience here of however many thousand students that have to live off campus. And when I graduated, my uncle was into real estate here and there, a couple of rental properties. And I said, I want to buy a property. And I went and I borrowed money from wherever. And I bought a property right near Boston College, a three bedroom, 2000 square foot um, unit, condominium unit, which I rented out. And even back then, the rent was pretty high because it was the very limited supply and yep. it was close Right by campus. And people really loved it. And I I bought a parking spot to which I leased separately. So I made more income. So to me, that was my first actual risk taking, put everything you have on the line and say, you know what, I'm going to do it. And I did it. And um, I caught the bug. Yeah. I mean, I did well with that monthly. So, so, if you think about it, my $19,200 job a year was giving me health insurance and some experience, but I was making probably 10 times more at the bar, plus I was making my my thing. So I quickly paid off my college loans, um, helped out my mom and my brothers tremendously, um, you know, and lived life. It wasn't like I was in a corner, but I was busy. I was always, always working, always yeah. working. Yeah, and then uh, I bought another one a couple of years later because I said, "Hey, this one was working. Maybe the cross the street one is going to work." And then the cross the street one cost twice as much. So uh, it was interesting how the appreciation of these properties in that area was. Uh, so I'm like, "Wow, that's going up pretty high." Yeah, so I yeah. Got the second one, um, and I was having equity, and I was getting rental income. A little nerve wracking because if you didn't get it rented in September for September yeah. and you're kind of empty on it for a year because all the kids who were renting college already rented by previous February for the next year. Yep. So anyway, uh, I try to wiggle my way up my, that company I was working at, I spoke multiple languages. So that was kind of a lead person because there was a lot of custom, their clients were a lot of little mom and pop shops from across the country. Some yeah. Okay. Yeah. Some of French. Some of them spoke Spanish. Some of them spoke Arabic. So I could relate to them. I'd be the guy who'd get on the phone. And then I went. I remember this very clear. I went to the president's office one day, asked for a meeting, and I said, "Listen, I think I'm a valuable asset to your company because of X, Y, and Z. I think I can do a lot more than answer phone calls for you. Uh, you know, I would love to get on a path to get more, to become more." And he's like, "Yeah, yeah, great, great." And then kind of nothing happened with that. And then my manager the customer service manager had gone to work at a, another company called Shoplink, which was an online grocery delivery company way before it's time. Yeah. I was, I was doing the math in my head. I'm like, that's just really come onto the scene. Yeah. But 1998, there was a couple, couple of them that were doing it. So I took a leap and I said, I want to go work to, to, in a startup. And, her thing was the only job I can give you is a customer service role. 
I said, that's okay. I said, that's the best role I can have because I can learn yeah. what the problems are in the company because yeah. happy customers are not calling every day. Unhappy customers are calling every day. That's and right. I, can, I can learn what the issues are and I can come up with solutions. To not, help. not to mention just the, the skill set that you develop when you're constantly having to talk to people that are on the offensive. Yeah. Like my my first job out of college was enterprise rent a car and you know they have a management training program so you start at the bottom you work your way yeah. up but when you're that management trainee man you're just behind the counter all day renting cars to people and you know unless you're at an airport where people are traveling 90 yeah. percent of the people coming in there are already pissed off because they're yeah. there because they're they got in a wreck their cars in the yeah. shop they've got to get a rental they're running late so sucks while you're doing it but yeah. very valuable down 100%. the road when you've kind of developed the the yeah. skill set of um of just having to constantly have those types of conversations yeah yeah i mean so that's that that, that i was there for maybe three four years because that was the the whole dot-com boom if you remember the bubble dot-com yeah bubble oh yeah so so but, did that company do well or did they no it did no. not do well. It kind of went out of business. But however, between me joining and it kind of blowing up, I wiggled my way into a pretty nifty business development role where I was responsible for going to three different locations in the country and setting up these uh, massive distribution centers. And I had no experience, formal experience in, you know, building something like that. But Kind of figured it out got this guy the guy the guy you know I, I knew that i have to get the heads of these departments together and we put, have to put a plan together and i didn't use a gantt chart or all these technology i just had a piece of paper and say hey by this date this has to happen because if this doesn't happen by this date then yeah. this won't happen so anyway Apply a healthy dose of common sense and yeah you know learned a lot tremendous learning for me and then the company went out of went out of uh uh business i learned a little about venture money at that point too because one day the ceo yeah. came and said hey i need you to make three deliveries to um to new york city to these i'm like okay i'll come in the morning and i'll do them so i got into a little thing i dressed up i went to deliveries to these big time vcs who if i name the name you'll recognize it and uh, i basically walked into their office and i had to find a creative way as like a demonstration of how the I had to get worked. to them and the CEO said, make sure this individual sees how fresh the lobster is and let him know. And I did that. I, I you know, found my way into the office and I, I, you know, I basically told one of the assistants, I said, this is, you don't, you don't, you don't want his wife got this. You don't want him to see it. You know what I mean? Like you want me to leave the lobster here. And so it's right. Yeah. Like, you know, you think he's going to be happy with you when his wife. Exactly. Wife's, something yeah. like that with my little <laughs> broken English. But anyway, so uh, <laughs> I got in and that day on the way back, the, 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 the CEO called. He's like, hey, the guy just put in 10 million into our company. And I was Damn. like excited, happy, you know. And then the thing for me, the learning thing for me was when I got back and he wanted to give me a thousand dollar bonus. And he was so excited. He brought me into his office. He's like, here's a thousand dollar bonus, like on your check for, for everything you're doing for the company. I said, you know what? I said, I don't want a thousand dollar bonus. I said, you can keep the thousand dollar bonus. I said to me, I said, and which thousand dollars was big money for me. I said to me, I'm bought into the company hundred percent to me. What I want for my bonus is when you're starting to expand and use that $10 million to grow, when there's roles to be filled, I want you to think I'm of me. your guy. I'm your guy. If you're listening to this podcast, then there's a good chance that you're looking to create more freedom in your own life. There's also a good chance that you realize that owning your own business can be a great way to take more control of your livelihood and create more of that freedom that we're all looking for. Also, if you've been listening to the show for a while, you realize that I specialize in franchise ownership. In addition to owning franchise businesses myself, I have a franchise consulting firm, Path to Freedom, where I help people navigate what is typically an overwhelming process of understanding franchising, identifying specific franchise companies that could be a fit, and then 
conducting the due diligence in a thorough and efficient manner with those franchise brands. My whole purpose here is to leverage my experience working for franchisors, owning franchises myself, and how we've been able to use that to create more freedom in our lives and help you determine if that could be a path that makes sense for you as well. So if any of this sounds interesting, if you've considered business ownership in the past, whether you've explored franchising specifically or not, I'd love to connect with you. I'd love to learn more about you and what it is that you're working towards in your life and determine if I may be in a position to help. A great starting point is the link below in the show notes, which will take you to a short form to fill out and you'll receive a free copy of an ebook that I've put together, The Seven Steps to Freedom Through Franchise Ownership. That'll also get us connected, and I'd love to set up an introductory call where I can explain a little bit more about the process that I use to help people determine if franchise ownership could be a great way to start charting their own path to freedom. So click the link below in the show notes, receive the ebook, and let's get connected. I'd love to hear from you. Yeah. And it worked. I mean, hell yeah. I mean, I'm not. I'm sure that wasn't the perfect moment. It's like, hey, something in particular. Said, hey, I think we can use this kid to to something. Well, else. I mean, to me, that that's had to have spoke volumes, you know, to him. And you know, one thing I'll just interject here real quick because you know, you mentioned when you got out of school, you felt lost. And yeah, the one thing that's that's interesting to me about you know everything you've shared. You, you just got out there and you tried a lot of stuff. And, and yeah. like you said, you stayed busy, right? I think a lot of people, when they feel lost, like, oh, you know, I thought I was going down this path, but that didn't work out or I changed my mind. They just kind of sit on their hands and they wait for like, you know, the pathway to materialize in front of them. And, you know, that's the, I think that's the best thing anyone can do. Cause I mean, look, how crazy is it to expect like an 18, 19 year old kid to know what they want to do for the rest of their life? Yeah. You know, I, I, I look at like, I, I have kids now and my, one of my sons says, this is what he wants to do. And I'm like, I'm so proud of you that, or I'm so happy for you that you have a clear direction of where you want to go versus just this zigzag way. I'm, I'm very happy for you. I'm like, great. Then you put your head down and you go to that goal. Yeah, so, absolutely. But if you don't, if you don't have that like burning drive that's pushing you in one clear direction, yeah. go try a lot of different stuffs. Yeah. One, you're going to develop a good skill set in the process. Two, you're probably going to find a lot of stuff you know you don't want to do for the rest of your life, and and you're going to increase the likelihood that you do find something that really gets you excited that you can yeah. you know get fired up about, yeah. and and that's when you do your best work right it doesn't yep. matter what it is but if it's something that you really enjoy and you're you're really excited about and i think too many people unfortunately don't do that and they spend you know this huge chunk of their life doing something that they're miserable doing just to make enough money to to pay the yeah. bills and you know live a a decent life so anyways i wanted to point that out i can i can remember you know, kind of being in a similar position coming out of school. And like I graduated in 09, so no companies were hiring. Right. And, and I just remember really, really being like stressing myself out, putting a lot of pressure on myself. You know, what am I going to do? I, I should have this figured out. And it's like, looking back now, it's because like, no, you didn't need to have it figured out. But what I did do was go try some different sure. things yeah so anyways. i mean most of the kids in america now are in the shoes i was they're lost they don't know that yeah. many, i'm very happy that if my kid like uh, likes that path but i want to go back to one of the points i made before is one of the reasons why i was like that is because of my upbringing because yeah. of the situation yeah. that i because i i didn't i don't the way we grew up if you folded that's not good. If you fold uh, your hands or whatever, then it, it, there's a lot at risk. So mm -hmm. we just, this innately, we have this um, fighting, you know, fighting ability in us. So not everyone, but most of us do who, who grew up in that type of, that type the of ones environment. that survived have that, that fight yeah, in them. Because they have that flight, the fight 
uh, gene that says, yeah. you know what, I'm going to go and I'm, I'm not going to give up. And to me, honestly, that's how I view a lot of it. To me, uh, that's how I could get by basically not having any money, not having no clear path to the future. But I knew I, I would outwork anybody around me. Like I didn't have a doubt in my mind that anywhere I was, I know that I'm outworking them. Yeah. Like that was like, you couldn't even, the mentality I had in my twenties, you couldn't even come close to it. That's how thing I was. Like it didn't even get any, anybody around me is like, you're not even at my level. Even Mm -hmm. they may have been in higher positions and stuff, but I'm like, I'm going to outwork you. You know, that's the superpower. Yeah, so I mean, at when the you bar, know it, I would work till four or five in the morning, clean the bathrooms, do everything. I was the manager, and everybody would be on, clean the bathrooms, load, load, load stuff, and then I'd be at work at seven o'clock, you know. And then I, I, I'd run to work, and then I'd go back at three in the afternoon, do it again, and go back. So uh, that was that, that. I think that that taught me a lot when I was younger. Anyway, but when I was uh, after uh, Shoplink, I did my stint with Shoplink. Uh, it went out of business. A um, couple more light bulbs went off in my head. And I said, okay, I kind of like this entrepreneurial company startup area because it's white space. Um, I like building things. Um, you know, if you look at the path, right? I, 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 like the ophthalmology or whatever it was, it's building. My dad used to like to build things. I was always really good at putting things together. So, on the side, I was doing a lot of real estate stuff, like helping my uncle with his rentals, uh, bathrooms, kitchens, all that stuff. And I was very good at it. I never had any formal training, but I, I could put the pieces together very easily. Yeah. Uh, so then I, but I realized that I still like the professional environment. I, I got, I'm like, I like the professional environment. I like the security for professional environment. Um, Eventually, I wanted to do something on my own, but I don't think I was ready to make the leap. Financially, I wasn't ready. Plus, I didn't know what it was. So I said, I got to go to business school. I wanted to go to business school to actually round out my, um, um, like my foundation had a lot of holes in it. I knew about finance, but I didn't know about finance. I knew about marketing. I didn't know about marketing. Yeah, you got a taste of the, the you know, venture capital and, and raising yeah. money, but just I didn't understand how it all worked right. or how accounting and this. So I applied to business school and I went to Babson, which is the number one entrepreneurial school in the country. Yeah. Uh, I got in there and uh, I did my two year straight uh, uh, MBA and I came out of there. Um, right when I got out, I got married. Um, I was recruited by the CIA. Uh, uh, I believe back then, if I remember correctly, because I spoke multiple languages that to makes go, sense to go yeah. to Dubai to do to do to do different types of work for different companies. But did you? Me, my did did you? I'm just curious. Was that interesting to you at all? It was extremely interesting to me because I love stuff like that. Yeah. However, however, CIA has never called me, man. God. Uh, I mean, they were doing recruiting in our school because we had a lot of international students, mm-hmm. um, and uh, I put my name in and I got interview and. But to me, I love that kind of stuff. But I, to me, my family was too important. My mom and my brothers, I couldn't leave. So to me, it's yeah. like, I'm not going to leave. Uh, and I, you know, a couple of companies in Texas uh, recruited me too. But I, and I even had an offer. But I, I, I like an offer that blew my mind away. But I, I couldn't do it. I said, you know what, I'm going to stick around. I wanted to stay there. I wanted to stay around there. And I got a job at Capital One. Uh, pure... Yep analyst role like to me very boring role right to me very very boring analyst yeah but it sounds like it's it kind of filled one of those gaps right that you hadn't really gotten through all the other jobs you'd had up to that point yeah you know business school i'm sure helped with that but then getting into this like hardcore data analyst really looking at ROI and and projections, you know, Correct. now, I mean, how much yeah. of that do you do as a business owner? Yeah. Um, so I'm sure that was, was kind of one of the best decisions to... I made. One of the best decisions I made in my career was to take that job at Capital One. Yeah. Uh, because it taught me. So first of all, I met Jeff, 
right? That that's yeah. the that's yeah. the that's the win right there. Number two, Capital One is an unbelievable company in my in my uh, view point and the way they approach numbers, data, how to solve issues. It's to me, it's mind boggling, very impressive. So I learned a lot there. I worked there from 05, 04, September 04 to 2009, April 2009. Um, because, uh, and then, in, and there again, I wiggled my way into another entrepreneurial arm of Capital One, yeah. uh, where we were doing home improvement financing for people like me, contractors who had customers. Yep. So, um, like the Enter, today's Enterbank w- mm-hmm. would have been Capital One back then. And um, so, we built a very, very big business for them. I think we almost did a billion dollars in uh, funded volume in one year. Uh, and Brett was a sales manager. You know Brett. Um, uh, he was a sales manager. It was Brett, myself, and and Jeff were kind of in, 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 in the team, leadership team there. Um, and then, uh, and then they shut that business down because Capital One decided that, you know, as much as money as that business was making, it wasn't even a dot on their big portfolio of businesses. Wow. And they just, they just decided to only guys, it's only a billion. <laughs> we appreciate well, was, the effort, but yeah, not enough I billions. Think was, <laughs> I think it was, they were making about 10 to 12 million on that billion on the home improvement uh, or whatever it was. Uh, but sounds all right then, to me. That edu- that education to me was about listen. It's all about the you know the value of the money. It's just you you have one loan that loses. You have one loan that you know doesn't pay back. It wipes out you know yeah, so much profits. A little bit so of a house of cards. Two thousand nine, two thousand nine. Every house, every nobody was paying their loans back back then. So yeah, and so <clears throat> that brings me up to like when Jeff and I kind of grouped after Capital One together and said, hey, there's a couple of things we liked at Capital One, we learned. One was like the home improvement industry, loved in-home sales model, but not the pressure one because most of them were high pressure. And uh, we also thought that, hey, we could build a business if there's a product and a service that makes sense, I think we can build a business around it. So we got together and we said, okay, we're going to do, do this. And that was a leap for me, by the way, um, to kind of go out of the family to the side to, Oh yeah. To partner with someone. Yeah. Partner with somebody completely. And Jeff doesn't even look a little bit Armenian, like not even a little bit. No, (laughs) no, no. I mean, uh, Jeff's a Jewish background. I'm Armenian from Lebanon. So, uh, it's, 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 it's not, I've never thought about that. That's interesting. Yeah. It was it was an interesting dynamic and conversation. And on top of that, after the several things we got into, uh, looked at, you know, we were going to get into a, start a home improvement company. Let's just, just listen to this. I'm going to my wife and my, my wife of, you know, how many years? Three, four years. And my family, I'm going to say, okay, guys, I have an idea. And oh, by the way, I had cut the roof off my house that weekend I got laid off. So I had no roof, nowhere to live. <laughs> So you can't, you can't write that into a script, man. I was like, okay. I'm like, okay, Southie, I have an idea. I'm going to take everything I have in my 401k, which is, you know, for me, it was a lot back then, hundred and something thousand dollars, you know, I'm going to put it in this company, in this home improvement company. That's going to sell these shelves that slide in and out of kitchen cabinets. (laughs) Yeah. Literally, literally. And I'm going to do it with a guy nobody knows. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to do it with my my little <laughs> Jewish buddy over here. <laughs> and by the way, the name of the company is Shelf Genie. <laughs> Genie. Yeah. No, I mean, I laugh at it. No, and I, and I, you know, and people laughed at me. Literally, like, you're out of oh, your mind. Yeah. Literally, out of you, you're going to sink everything you have. You don't even have a home. Your house is cut off. Literally, the roof is cut off. That you weekend, don't even have a roof I'm over your head. You. I'm wow. not kidding you. That weekend, the that weekend it was cut off and then that monday we got laid off so uh anyway so but in all seriousness if you approach it with data and really if you look at it uh with the right lens what we did was pretty damn smart right because and pretty calculated um very calculated because very, very and calculated. like i want to because i want to i want to touch on a couple of things 
that that you mentioned as you were telling that part of the story you know one is that you know it sounds to me like through you and jeff's experience building this kind of arm of capital one that specialized in home improvement financing plus you would i guess you know at least dabbled in some of that through the real estate and and stuff you were helping family members out with in real estate you knew that was an attractive industry so one i want to i want to have you explain what you and jeff found attractive about that industry and in particularly the in-home sales but not like high pressure yeah. scummy in-home sales tactics but it also i think you had also told me when you and i were talking about doing this that you know you and jeff had a pretty specific vision you know to build an eight to ten million dollar a year home yeah. improvement company but you even knew at that time that it, it may not necessarily be through one product or yeah. service offering it may be more of a portfolio yeah. you know of home improvement companies which is what you guys have gone on to do so just expand a little bit on why that direction and because yeah. i think it will drive home the point of why it, it wasn't as crazy as of a move as it sounds like yeah. when when you tell it like that yeah so we put a business plan together and jeff and i said that we want to build a eight to ten million dollar home improvement company made up of multiple of verticals and the multiple verticals make sense to us it wasn't foreign language because we came from capital one and capital one was diversified right yeah sure they went from one vertical once they nailed that they went to another vertical. Like they they had they had healthcare finance they had a home improvement finance they had they were we were going to go into wedding finance so we were going to go down the line so to us it wasn't foreign to to do to do anything like that number two we looked at a couple opportunities one was flooring one was um water bubbler that did coffee and things like that mm-hmm. uh, both franchises and i'll talk about franchises in a second um but but what the math we did was um if we loved the product, if the product talked to us and made sense or the service and the numbers made sense, then we can build it. Because one thing we learned at Capital One was all the successful home improvement companies that were uh, that we met throughout our uh, venture and trying to get, get them to sign up with us had a one common theme in them. And you ask Brett, he'll say the same thing. We are a sales and marketing company that happens to be doing X, Y, and Z. And if you you believe that, and if you ingrain that in your head, then the problem becomes a numbers game, right? It's it's, it's a very 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 formulaic formulaic numbers game. Yeah, of course you have to deliver on the product, deliver on the service. Well, and have a good product to sell for it to be sustainable. 100%. Good product, good service. That's a given. Yeah. Um, And, but, but, the front end of the business and all these businesses without the sales, none of, none of, it doesn't matter. You can make the beautiful, most beautiful closet, the best sliding shelf, the most beautiful, but if you can't get the person to buy it, yeah, that, I don't think it's going to, it's going to be, you're going to have a very nice warehouse full of, full of those, full of those full of <laughs> dusty shelves. shelves that are not getting used by anyone. No. Um, so yeah, it's, it's so true. So, that was interesting to us. And then the home improvement was interesting because I had, I personally had a affinity to home. I had my home improvement contractor's license. Mm-hmm. I was a licensed contractor, mistresses because of the stuff that I was doing on the side to make ends meet and do whatever I was doing. So when we walked into shelf genie and I saw the product, I was like, wow, I could, I go, it's pretty straightforward, right? Like I go, it's not it was that different. Hard. I mean, there's even, even to this day, there's not in terms of companies out there that that's their specialty. That's their, their core product yeah. offering. There's not, there isn't correct. much out there, but it's the type of thing, man, when people see it, like, you know, we've all been at home shows where we've got our displays with shelf. You can just see the light bulb go off over people. Right. They're like, I didn't know that's what I needed, but I've known I needed that for a long time. I just didn't know it was that. The business model, too, if you think about Shelf Cheney's business model, right? You don't have to have a building. You don't have to have overhead. Like, if you think about all that. Yeah, that's why why I asked 
you know, to, uh, about the in-home sales component, right? And if yeah. that was part of the thought process, knowing that's something that you wanted because it it keeps you from needing the retail yeah. storefront, which saves a lot of upfront capital, saves a lot of overhead. So that was that was very, very appealing to us. And it made sense on paper. It made sense conceptually. It made sense. And it, if you think of what was going on back then, recession, crash and home improvement, it weeded out a lot of mom and pops that couldn't make it, right? Uh, aging population in Massachusetts, aging home, older homes, um, stay in place, you know, mm-hmm. aging in place. So yep. um, it made a sense. And, and the ticket size was 2500 to 3000 average back then. It's a credit card swipe to change the way you use your kitchen every day, change your life. Yeah, for something and, you literally touch multiple times a day, exactly. every day. And, yeah, and if you do it right, if you sell it right, if you design it right, then it's going to make a, it's going to be pretty quick. And 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 that's what happened. You know, we got into it, boom, 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 and we grew very quickly. Uh, and we became, you know, we did, we hit a million dollars our third year or something like that. It was it was pretty big for us. And our focus was on that. Yeah. Um, and. We ended up, I decided, pushing Jeff, I said, I want to start running it a little different than what Shelf Genie says to run it because I want to control. I want I wanted to hire the installers and put them on our payroll because Massachusetts was very, very tough on, on W-2 versus 1099. Right. So yeah, the, yeah, the typical model is everyone's a subcontractor, yeah. commission-only type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. But knowing that we were going to get into other businesses, we knew that we were going to have a building, right? We're going to have a location. We can have people come. I can have everybody look the same, feel the same. I can I can have my trucks all lettered So uh, versus putting uh, magnets on their trucks. So yeah. it kind of worked. And then as we got into the second business, the third business, and we bought the location or we got our location, it, it kind of all gelled together. That's a wrap. Thanks for joining me today and be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you'll know when a new episode is released. You can also check me out on my website at www.path2frdm.com. And if you want more information about franchising or just want to say hello, feel free to contact me at Wes at Path2FRDM.com. Thanks again. Now go drop in.